listening to the Read Aloud Revival Podcast. This is the podcast that helps you make meaningful and lasting connections with your kids through books. Hello, hello, Sarah McKenzie here. You've got episode 112 of the Read Aloud Revival Podcast. So I have kind of an embarrassing admission here right at the beginning. I have been looking forward to this episode because on it, I'm having the lady who produced my audiobook, Read Loud Family, on to talk about how audiobooks are made. She's also an audiobook narrator herself. We're going to talk about that. But get this. We did the whole interview and I realized at the end that I didn't have my podcast mic on. It was just using the computer mic. This probably wouldn't be that embarrassing, except that I was talking to an audio producer. (laughs) So I didn't have the courage to tell her afterwards. I just used my computer mic, which she may have actually noticed because she has an excellent ear for good audio quality. Anyway, I just listened to the whole episode and I think the audio quality is okay. It is not the same as you would get if you were listening to an audiobook produced by Lisa Brown. At any rate, Lisa is a delight. And if your family enjoys audiobooks, I think you're going to like this episode. Gives us a little behind the scenes of what it's like to narrate and produce really good stories into your ears. (laughs) Before we go on with the episode, I have a quick favor to ask you. Would you go to iTunes and leave a rating or review for the Read Aloud Revival podcast? It makes such a huge difference in how many families find the Read Aloud Revival podcast and get the inspiration they need to start reading aloud with their kids or to start reading aloud with their kids more. You can just go to iTunes, search for Read Aloud Revival, leave any rating or review there, and I would so appreciate it. Okay, let's get on to the show. If you've been listening to the Read Aloud Revival podcast for long, then you know we believe audiobooks count. We are big fans of audiobooks here. And today we thought it would be fun to go behind the scenes a little bit and talk about how audiobooks are made. So I'm joined by Lisa Brown, an Audi Award nominee, narrator, and co-owner of Cedar House Audio Productions. Lisa comes from an acting background, and she produces and directs audiobook recordings alongside her dog, Hazel, who's very sweet. I've met her. (laughs) You can hear her voice on more than 40 audio recordings available through Audible. We're going to link to a whole bunch of them in the show notes. So if you fall in love with Lisa today, you can go listen to her read to you a little bit. Uh, The show notes for today's episode are going to be at readaloudrevival.com slash 112, because this is episode 112. I had the chance to work with Lisa on the audio recording of my own book, The Read Aloud Family. I narrated, Lisa produced. It was such an interesting experience for me. And in fact, The Read Aloud Family won an Audiophile Magazine Earphones Award, thanks in no small part to Lisa's production prowess. So I'm thrilled she's joining us today. Lisa, welcome to The Read Aloud Revival. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. Well, it's been a little while since I've gotten to chat with you because I guess we spent a lot of time together over the course of two days, and then I haven't talked to you in a long time. You read so fast. I mean, the book could have taken longer, but you sped right through it beautifully. Well, actually, I think in that earphones award, the the person describing it said it was briskly paced, which made me laugh out loud because I worked so hard on slowing my natural pacing down (laughs) to read. (laughs) It's hard to uh, be something you're not, but you uh, you did slow it down. It was very good. 
Okay, so let's start with how you got started in voice acting. Is that something you always wanted to do? You know, I didn't even know it was a thing when I was a kid and thinking about acting. I just did school plays and loved being somebody else, you know, playing those kind of, you know, characters that weren't anything like me. And so I went to school and got a an acting, a theater and dance degree and then tried to get, get a job in the real world, which was hard. So while I was doing things that weren't acting so that I could pay my rent, I I got an agent who said, hey, let's send you out for a voiceover audition. And it was so much fun because being a stage actor, you get to use your body and put on a costume and some makeup and a wig. And But when you're being a voice actor, you have to do it all with your voice. And it was such a, even when I was in my very early 20s, such an exciting challenge that I just completely fell in love with it. Yeah, it's a different art form. I realized that even recording my nonfiction book, Read Aloud Family, realizing how much of the drama of what you're you're reading or the little nuances of what you're reading need to come through in your voice without using your body at all. In fact, while well, keeping your body completely still, which is really <laughs> difficult to do with some of us. <laughs> right. Your listeners won't, won't probably know this, but when you're recording an audiobook, you have to sit very still because I'm sitting in the recording booth right now in front of the microphone. And if I rub my hands together or scratch or move my chair or something. It's on the audio, which is, of course, a no-no. And poor Sarah had to be made to sit completely still. So it is. it can be really challenging. <laughs> yes, especially for those of us who probably use our hands more than normal or use our bodies. <laughs> yeah, gesticulating is not good. Right, right. Not for an audiobook. Did you listen to audiobooks growing up? You know, I. it was one of those things where it was a road trip Thing. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, before iPods and all that kind of thing. So, no, I really didn't. And it wasn't until probably the Harry Potter books that I was like, holy cow, this is amazing. Well, I mean, Jim Dale. Jim Dale, Jim is, Dale is incredible. Yeah, yeah. So, and that's, you know, a stark example. But after listening to Jim Dale, well, it really, honestly, I didn't do it as a kid. It just wasn't quite as available unless maybe it was in school with one of those read along while listening and the the bell sounds and you turn the page. But I started, I had an agent in Portland, Oregon, and I would drive from Seattle and I still do occasionally drive from Seattle to Portland to do an audition. And that's a three hour drive each way for me. So I would, you know, go to the library and get an audiobook. And this was well before I was performing any audiobooks. And boy, it makes Time travel fast, doesn't it? It so does. It's, I, you know, I didn't listen to audiobooks as a child either. Again, I think it was that availability thing, except for a few books on tape that we had, <laughs> you know, laying around the house or at school or whatever. But same thing as an adult, there were two things I discussed. I started working at the library. And so I would borrow books on CD and listen to them on my commute because I would go to all these different libraries. To be, I was sort of a sub at the circulation desk. So I'd just be filling in for anyone who was sick or out. And so I would sometimes work at a library that was an hour away. And so I would get all this extra reading. At the time, I had a one, three, and five-year-old, so there wasn't a lot of time to read at home. So I would just love those drives because I could listen to Harry Potter, in fact, is where I listened to all of those books on audio on my way, you know, back and forth to work. The other thing that I discovered around the same time was that if I bribed myself with an audiobook, I would get on the treadmill. 
you know, like you're not allowed to listen <laughs> to The Giver by Lois Lowry unless you're on the treadmill. And so then I'd go back out to the treadmill. <laughs> it was that's like a, a bribe. That's a great trick. Yeah. So when I recorded The Read Aloud Family with you, I flew to Seattle. I mean, I live on the other side of the state, of course. So I flew to Seattle each day and you and I spent the day recording. I think I drank more tea and water in those hours I spent with you. <laughs> I usually do in a month. I was very well hydrated. <laughs> That's key. That is one of the, the most important things about doing voiceover is to be hydrated. There was so much about recording an audiobook that surprised me. That was one of them. How loud my stomach is, which is apparently very loud. <laughs> um, one of the funniest it's, parts for me was when I, I read a line and you stopped me and said, okay, do that one again. And I think I must have looked at you through this, the studio window askance, kind of like, why? Why are you having me record that again? And you laughed and you played it back for me. What I was supposed to say was, I looked at the book on the table. Like that was the, what I was supposed to be reading from the book. I looked at the book on the table. But what I said was, I looked at the microphone on the table. <laughs> so apparently, <laughs> I was very distracted by this fancy microphone right in my face while I was reading aloud. <laughs> so I know fun. the brain does amazing things. It'll replace words. It happens all the time where I'll be producing and a narrator will read the word above or below the word they're supposed to be reading. And they have no idea they've said a completely different word. <laughs> it's just the brain. It does amazing things. Yeah, so funny. So can you describe a little bit about that process of what recording a book is like, you know, how long it usually takes? And I don't know anything you can think of about that process of I mean, I know a lot of our listeners to the podcast Kids and adults are avid audiobook listeners, and I think they would just love anything you can tell them that happens behind the scenes. Sure. I am one of those people who believes that when you listen to an audiobook, you have read the book. Of so yes, absolutely. I'm, I'm with all of those people. The process, it's really, it's a little more complicated than I think people think. I often asked, do you read the book in advance? And which is an astounding question to me, because, of course, how else will I know what to do with the story and where it goes and what the character should sound like? So the whole process starts with reading the book. And when I am reading fiction, of course, I'm taking copious notes the whole time. This character first appeared on this page. And what is their voice like? Then I have to gather the details in the book of what the author is telling me the characters like? Do they have an accent? Is it a man or a woman? How old are they? What is their background? What are the things that I'm learning in this story that will possibly influence what they're like? So I do all that kind of stuff. And then I look up all of the words that I don't know how to pronounce, place names, people names. I might do a little background if it, there's some histor historical information. And so I, then I take all of these notes and then I go back to the beginning and I start over again because now I have the end of the story in my mind when I start the story again. So all of that influences how you produce. And generally speaking, it takes about two hours to record one finished hour of audio. Hmm. So if I have a 10-hour book, it takes about 20 hours in the studio, not including breaks. And then it goes to the editor and proofer who then follow along the script as they're listening to the audio while they're fixing little mistakes and then they're finding issues that need to be re-recorded. And that takes about three hours per finished hour. So oh, now we're I didn't up realize to, that. Wow. Now we're up to about 50 hours for this 10-hour book. 
And after that, then we do the corrections, which you'll know because we had a little <laughs> correction session, didn't we? We did. So you go back and record the sentence here and there that where there were mistakes. Then it goes back to the editor and they plug in all of those corrections. And after that's done, it gets mastered. So that's another probably hour and a half per finished hour. So it takes a lot of hours to make an audiobook. There is so, I mean, I think as a listener, we just sort of get to enjoy the fruit of all that labor, right? So we just, it feels like it's effortless, but knowing how much work goes in behind. I mean, I was even surprised recording our, um, what we recorded together, but now every time I listen to an audiobook, I have a, a new appreciation for all of the work behind the scenes. Cause yeah, that's a lot that we're not thinking about. And like you said earlier, not just hours, like two hours per finished hour in recording, but also that narrator sitting completely still and trying to make sure that they pronounce everything correctly and use a lot of dynamic, you know, dynamics in their voice mm -hmm. and nuances to read well and pacing and all that stuff. There's so much to think about. So much to think about. And every individual chapter has a, an arc to it. And you want to help the listener understand the story better by getting all of that right. And yeah, I think it, my favorite thing to cheat at <laughs> is to get the hard books as audiobooks as a listener. Yes. Because somebody has done all that work for me. <laughs> They've figured out how to pronounce all of these words like a sci-fi book or a history book is brilliant as an audiobook because somebody's done all that hard work for you and you just get to enjoy and listen. It's so true. That's I really like Mark Twain's books on audio because of all that dialect and those specific I mean, it's just so, it's effortless to listen to. It's much harder to read it. And then not, this isn't challenging to read, but I just enjoy them on audio. I don't know if you've heard these, the number one ladies detective agency books by Alexander McCall Smith. And I think they're narrated by Lizette Lacaw. Are you familiar with those? I'm familiar with it. I haven't listened to them. I've only heard samples of it. Yeah. Okay. Brilliant. They're yeah. so, I mean, I read the first one in a paperback and I pronounced every single name and city wrong in my head, which is fine, right? But then when right. I listened to the audiobook, it enriched it so much. And it really, I mean, I don't read them anymore. I, I listen to all of them. I think I just finished listening to the 16th. And I am not a series person. <laughs> <laughs> I can name very few series that I've read all the books to. But I just love those. And I think the narrator does such an exquisite job. I just never, I just love the sound of her voice in my ear. And I feel like it's, uh, it's decadent to listen to those books. I'm right now listening to a book called The House at the Edge of Night, and it's set in a little island off the southern tip of Sicily. And I have all of this beautiful Italian swimming through my head all day until I can get to a dog walk so I can listen to the rest of it. It's I love that. Letting somebody too. give you the accents and dialects. I do, too. So you have unique experience because you produce them and you narrate them. Let's talk about narrate that narrating piece a little bit. What do you think are some of the challenges that come along with narrating a book? Well, definitely the research and the accents and dialects. It's a lot of hard work, but I do love doing it. And I love creating the characters. And there's lots of little tricks to... Now, Jim Dale did hundreds of characters for the Harry Potter books. And I've never done that many characters in a single book, certainly. But I've done a lot, and to keep track of them can be kind of tricky. I keep a list of character characteristics so that I can kind of glance at it when a character shows up in Chapter 1 and then they don't come back until Chapter 20. Mm. But there's also other tricks where, and I've done this, one of my narrators does it, and I thought it was such a great idea. I do, 
I do it now too, is I'll do a, an image search online and it'll be um, little old lady, little Italian woman. <laughs> and then I'll grab that picture and I'll make a collage of all of my characters huh. and I'll keep it in the booth. And then when I get to Bob, I look up and there I see a bearded man and I, you know, immediately remember the voice because mm. it's that image. Mm-hmm. Or a lot of people assign actual people they know. So Uncle Harry is the main character and I'm going to use my mom as the mom in the book. And, and then if you kind of do a rendition of that person, you remember their voice. Interesting. So you're pairing those visual cues with the voice, which makes sense because I think when we think about characters in a movie, we can instantly think about how they sound. And maybe it's easier than if you're thinking about just characters in a story. Hmm. Yeah. And you don't have to be, you know, mimicking that, but it's the kind of essence of them that can help you remember what you did with that character. Do you have any like tricks for keeping track of those character voices and dialects other than the visual cues? I mean, do you make notes? Do you rec- I w- I'm just thinking about how I would try and do that. Would you do you like record little snippets of what they sound like? You know, or? sometimes I do that and I'll um, record and then I'll grab little a sentence here and there of the audio and have a running clip of all of my characters and I'll label it and then I'll go back and I'll listen to that little sentence and I'll remember. So and I know that's uh, that's what I heard at least that they did when producing those Harry Potter books because there were just so many characters they had this long list of audio clips that he could listen to so he could remember what he'd created. That's so smart. Well, especially with those, because I mean, I know as listening to Harry Potter, you know, who's speaking before he tells you, you know, because his Mm -hmm. voices are so distinct, which I know when I'm reading aloud to my kids, they're not usually occasionally I can get, (laughs) I can get a little carried away and they get distinct, but um, it's it takes a lot of energy to keep those up sometimes. So um, It does. Yeah. But there's there are schools of thought that you can just read a book without doing particular character voices. And some people prefer that style. Mm-hmm. And I love making the voices, so I'm prejudiced in that direction. But I think you can do a lot or you can do a little and there's still an audience for it. Yeah, one of the tricks, and I can't remember where I heard this first, but... There are some simple things we can do. So if we have listeners who are thinking, I'm not that good at character voices, one of the things that helps me is just knowing two things you can do. And I'm curious to hear what you think about these, Lisa. One is just speeding up or slowing down because you can, you can say a lot about a character or make a character sound differently than each other by just slowing down or speeding up. The other one is making them loud or soft. So even just volume and speed can make a huge difference without feeling like you have to come up with a very different theatrical sound for each person. That is very true. Some characters can have a really fast voice. And then if you have a, if you give it a slower pace, it seems like somebody else entirely, even though you don't change your voice. Mm-hmm. I think that that is a good way to do it if, if you don't want to, you know, go overboard. But it, how, what is it that you do when you're reading to the kids? I mean, I get pretty theatrical because I <laughs> because I big I love, surprise. Yeah. <laughs> but here's the problem. My problem is that if I want to read with any kind of an accent, it always sounds English. I always sound like I'm I'm channeling Mary Poppins. I can't help it. <laughs> so I need to learn a few other accents, and <laughs> otherwise, you know, we'll be reading a story that's set in I don't know. I'm trying to think of, like any other place, not right. England. And I still sound like I'm, you know, Mary Poppins waiting. For oh, I know. Sometimes I get the challenge of 
a conversation between an Irish character, a Scottish character, and an English character. Oh, and gosh. I'm, oh, please, <laughs> please. But it's still, yeah, it's fun. I listen to a lot of audio dialect clips and there's lots of websites that help you out with that kind of thing. And, you know, I, I had some schooling on it as well, but it's always a challenge. Uh, yeah. I mean, especially with something like, you know, Irish or Scottish brogue and you're thinking there's, there, the differences are, you can hear them when you hear them, <laughs> but they're, they, they seem subtle, right? Like yeah. when you're trying to do it. Yeah. And I would probably still make my leprechauns sound like they were... <laughs> <laughs> British. <laughs> okay, so one question we hear a lot is that mom or dad's voice goes out when they're reading aloud. So do you have any tips for keeping your voice in good shape for reading? Actually, I know you have some good tips for this because I, my <laughs> voice is going out. And I thought I was so prepared to read aloud my audiobook because I read aloud to my kids all the time. But there's a very different, there's a big difference between reading aloud your kids to your kids every day even if you read quite a bit and reading for six hours straight. So <laughs> you read aloud for hours at a time. I want to know how you keep your voice in shape. Well, it is, it can be really challenging. Uh, the number one thing is hydration, as I've said. And th as a professional, there are things that you need to do that maybe, you know, reading at home, you don't want to go quite this far. But dietary things make a big difference. For me, it's dairy. Huh. For some people, it's not dairy will, I get, too much phlegm on my vocal cords. So I just avoid it completely when I'm narrating a book. I'll ju I just take a week off of dairy. Some people, it's acidic things. It makes their voice start to sound scratchy. So no lemonade or lemon in their tea or that kind of thing. Gargling with water will loosen up your throat and clean anything off of your vocal cords. And so it'll make your voice sound smoother. And keeping your neck relaxed, just rolling your head around and giving it a break just one, now and again, will take the tension off of your throat. You start to sound kind of stressed when your neck gets tight and then yes. it makes you lose your voice. So just little things like that. So, you know, I hope no parents are going to change their diet while they're reading to their kids. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it is helpful, but, though, to think through. I mean, I know when I was recording with you, even, just not even realizing, I didn't even realize when my voice was starting to sound dry and you would notice it by listening to me read. You'd say, you need to take a drink of something. And I'd go, oh, really? Okay. So I'd take a drink and go, oh yeah, that's much better. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so sometimes I think we don't, we're not attuned to that necessarily ourselves, but especially if you have kids, listeners, if you have kids who are saying one more chapter, one more chapter, right. you might need to pass the book to an older kid to read it a little bit, you might need to go make yourself some more tea. Or another tip that I have if your voice starts to go out is just to switch to the audiobook for a little while. Or if your kids don't want to go back and forth between an audiobook narrator and you, because sometimes it's hard to compete once you have an audiobook narrator doing an amazing job. Somebody just mentioned this um, in our premium member forum online. She said that her kids don't want her to read the Ramona Quimby books anymore because Stockard Channing reads them on audio. <laughs> And I said, well, you don't just don't compete, right? Just let her read those and you read something else. So maybe don't go back and forth with the same book, but even just saying we're going to be done with this one for now. And you can listen to this audio <laughs> book for, for a while because yeah, it does. It takes a toll on your voice, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. When I was a kid, my mom and I would trade back and forth reading to each other. And that, you know, maybe that gave her a break. My mom learned English as a second language. So all of the books that we read together were the first time she'd read them. So she she was just as excited about all the stories as I was. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. 
<laughs> okay, so we've got a book narrated. Let's say you've, you've now narrated the book. Walk us through, I know you gave us kind of a quick walk through those those different pieces of production, of taking this all the way to the listener's ear, but can you walk us through a little bit slower this time? So we have a we have a book that's been narrated, and now it goes to... It goes to the editor. Okay. So, and, the, and part of that editing piece is proofing it, meaning that we want it to be word perfect. Our whole, or for my company, Cedar House Audio, we want it to be as we believe the author wanted it to be. Hmm. So not only is the editor following along word for word to make sure everything is correct that way, they're also listening to see that the characters are consistent, that we got the right meaning of everything, really. So they're kind of backup plan for the director, and they'll find any little bits that we didn't get quite right. And then they make a list, our corrections list, and sometimes there's five changes. Sometimes there's, I won't say 500, but definitely 80 Mm, <laughs> there might okay. be 80 corrections. Wow. Okay. And so we'll, when we go back into the studio, you know, we have to get all of that perfectly right. And then once all of those individual corrections are recorded, it goes back to the editor and they have to drop them in and then make it sound right. Because, you know, sometimes if it's poorly produced, you can tell where all the corrections are as you're listening to the audiobook. Because the character will be speaking along and all of a sudden it'll sound a little bit different. And then it's back <laughs> I've to... I've totally heard that before. You, and it's because whoever did the that final edit didn't take the time to raise the levels or, or equalize everything as it should have been done. Okay, so, I, that's so interesting because a couple of our... From my experience recording with you, I remember a couple of times I would read a sentence and maybe I would make a contraction where there wasn't one. You know, I'd say didn't instead of did not. But that mm -hmm. changes the pacing of a sentence, right? And so you'd say, you know, you'd remind me or you'd, you'd call my attention to it and we'd record it again. Or another thing is occasionally I would read a sentence. It's kind of funny because they were my words that I wrote. But even like when you're in the groove of just reading, sometimes I, I would get to the end of a sentence and you'd go, are you sure that's how you wanted to say that? And you'd replay it back for me. And I'd think, yeah, no, that's not what I meant. So I just, that's like the intonation, you know, that having that extra set of ears is so helpful. So that's really interesting. Super interesting to me. And also, I remember when we do some corrections and I would re-say something and you would play both to me to kind of like that whole like where you have a voice kind of like this and then you have a voice kind of like this, you know, mm -hmm. and so we'd match them up and like listen to that again and see if you can match that. So, so much work. I think it surprised me. Of course, as an audiobook, avid audiobook listener, I really appreciate all that work because it makes for the enjoyable listening experience. Yeah, the thing we don't want to do is take the listener out of the story. So if they're listening to a story and they hear a word mispronounced or a place name mispronounced or the character suddenly has a different voice, then they're not thinking about the story anymore. They're thinking about, wait a minute, that's not how you pronounce that. I've been there and I know they don't say it. And then they're, where's the story now? They're lost. And we never want that to happen. Yeah, yeah. So interesting. So then you get the corrections and the editor really needs to make sure that that's smooth. And there was another piece after that that I didn't, I don't think I knew oh, about. Oh, mastering. Yeah. What is that? Well, mastering is, uh, f it's formatting it for different things. So we master a certain way if it's going to be on CD and it has to be broken up into CD pieces, which are under 79 minutes. Huh. And then for download, it's done differently as well. And it's how you break it up and where you put the the breaks for 
tracks. So that's a whole different, and I never do that work. Oh, you that's don't? Okay. Me. That's somebody else. That's my, yeah. So I have a business partner, Susie Brutke Smartin. Hey, Susie. She is awesome, and she does all of the technical end. And we have other editors we work with as well. We like to employ as many people as possible <laughs> in their chosen field. That's another awesome thing about having a business. So we have other editors who do that, and, you know, everybody's got their specialty, and mine is not editing, although I... If you twist my arm, I can do it. <laughs> but you're, you really shine in the studio. That's, I mean, I watched I, that. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I do the production half. Yeah. Yeah. And the narrating too. In fact, speaking of your narrating, so we'll put links to some of your books in the show notes, but are there any in particular that stand out to you as like they were particularly fun to record? And I think you've done all adult books. Is that right? No. Oh, that, oh. Uh, I've done a handful of children's books. And in particular, I love the Audacity Jones series. Oh, I forgot. I knew that because, of course, we are Kirby Larson fans at Reload yes! Revival. So, listeners, you will recognize Kirby Larson. Okay, a couple things she's written is Hattie Big Sky and Hattie Ever After. I love those books. In fact, I that it's rare for me to like a sequel even better than the original. And Hattie Big Sky won a Newbery honor, but I even liked Hattie Ever After even better. I just loved that book. A whole bunch of books about the dogs of World War II, Duke and Dash, and my yes. son loves those. She's written for American Girl, and then she's got this Audacity Jones series. And so Lisa is the one who narrated those. So tell us about that. What was that like? Oh, I love, she writes such great characters, all historical fiction, such amazing research that she does. And the Audacity Jones series has got it's about a home for wayward girls and audacity. So the, all of these orphans live in a crazy caretaker who is just <laughs> all of her characters are so big and broad. I yeah. love them. Yeah. And audacity is a huge book lover and she goes on all these adventures. She's when I describe the book to people, I like to say that she's kind of a mystery. She's solving mysteries. She's a a detective and I get to do all these great accents. <laughs> I, I've got a, an old general who talks like this. I love and, it. And, you know, uh, little old ladies and lots and lots of little girls who talk like this. <laughs> and it's just super fun. And I've produced all of those other books about the dogs at war series. So oh, I, I know that. Okay. So I'm very familiar with all those too. I got to hire some nice young men who do boy voices and that we had super great time doing that. I also did Miranda the Great by Eleanor Estes. You did? Yes. How did uh, I not know this? I love Eleanor Estes. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only one of her books that I've done, but I got to do a lot of cat voices, which was really fun. And then I did another one. It's a Christmas story also about cats. Hmm, there's a trend here. Hmm called Three Wise Cats. And uh, it's about three cats who see the star and follow it like the wise men do. Oh, fun. Okay. To meet baby Jesus. So yeah. that's, that's a pretty fun little story. Also, a lot of cat voices. A lot of cat voices. So you are very good at your cat voices. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> I'm going to put links in the show notes to the books, that, some books that you've narrated to cedarhouseaudio.com, which is the website for your audio production company. And thank you so very much for your time. It has been a treat to get behind the scenes a little bit on how audiobooks are made. It was super fun, Sarah, and I can't wait for your next book. 
Now it's time for Let the Kids Speak. This is my favorite part of the podcast, where kids tell us about their favorite stories that have been read aloud to them. I'm Abel, I'm six years old, and I am from Belgium. And my favorite book is Peppa and Yannicka because they do very funny things. What is your name? Shabrian. And how old are you? Five. And what country do we live in? Belgium. And what is your favorite book? Pluck and the Petal Sluts. Pluck and the Pluck and the Petal Sluts. And in English, that's Tow Truck Pluck. My name is Calvin and I live in Maryland. I'm five and my favorite book is Farmer Boy. And my favorite chapter is where they cut ice. And I like it where they cut the ice. What's your name? Miller. Miller? Yes. How old are you? Three. What's your favorite book? Frog Toad. Frog and Toad? Mm-hmm. What part do you like? Yeah. When Toad says blah. Yeah. Anything else? Yes. Thank you. Hi, my name is Sophia Olsen. I am eight years old and I live in Watertown, South Dakota. My favorite book is Misty Copeland because she is a ballerina and I want to be a ballerina when I grow up too. Hi, my name is Charlotte and I'm six years old and I live in Watertown, South Dakota. And my favorite books are The Sick and the Bad Mood. And I like that, that book because some people keep in the beginning and then have a silly ending. And my second favorite book is That's Not My Dog and Book, so I like that. I like that story because the mouse makes, makes a face when it like says, that's not, and whatever it is. And also why I like that story, those stories, because I can read in it and it makes me learn words. My name is Audrey. I am six years old. I am from New Zealand. My favorite book that I've read so far is Mr. Popper's Papers. I like how they slide on their tummies in the living room with Janie and Belle. My name is Tate and I'm four years old. I'm a little bit of Wisconsin. And my favorite book is Crowley. I like the part because of Warfolk. Hi, my name is Rosie. I live in Michigan. I'm three and a half ants. I like the book. I choose nice because they climb up and pick the apples. That's why I love a bye. How old are you? I'm ten. You're two. And where do you live? In Africa. No, you don't live in Africa. You live in Germany. Yeah. Do you have a favorite book? Yeah. What is it? Elsa. Go Dog Go by P.D. Eastman. Why is it your favorite book? Because of all the dogs in it. Awesome. Thank you so much for your book picks, kids. I love hearing the books that you're enjoying reading and reading aloud. If your kids would like to leave a message for the Read Aloud Revival, we air those in the order they're received. I'm just going to be honest here. Sometimes you have to wait kind of a long time, but it's worth it, right? Because it's so fun to hear yourself on the podcast. To leave a message, just go to readaloudrevival.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, and you'll see where you can leave a message there. Again, if you wouldn't mind taking just a second to go to iTunes and leave us a rating or review for Read Aloud Revival podcast, that would just be so helpful. Really appreciate that. 
You can find the show notes for this episode at readaloudrevival.com slash 112. And I think that's it for today. We'll be back next week with another episode for you. For now, go make meaningful and lasting connections with your kids through books. Thank you.